0: We are going to be considering Baptist Catechism 101 today. It's a great question. What is the duty of such who are rightly baptized? So those baptized, what then are they to do? And the answer is that it is the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give up themselves to some particular and orderly church of Jesus Christ that they may walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. A very good answer. And I'm going to torture myself here by reading Romans 6, 1 through 15. And I say that because it is filled with names that are very difficult to pronounce. Uh, It's actually easier to read them in the Greek. Maybe I should have printed it out there, but in the English, it could be hard. Um, But as we come to these names, okay, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And the reason I'm going to read these names is just to remind you that. In the early church, these churches were filled with real people. Real people, just like, just like you and me. You know, The names, are they, they sound strange to us, but real people just like you and me. And so this thing that we call church has been going on a long time. And it, 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 it was true in the earliest days of, of the church that those baptized then joined themselves to congregations really just like this one, you know. Isn't that marvelous to think about? This isn't a new invention. It's a very old thing. Um, um, The church has been been doing this for a long time, filled filled with real people, uh, real believers, who were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And So let us read God's most holy word, Romans 16, 1-15. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sintrae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatius, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who... "'has worked hard for you. "'Greet Andronicus and Junia, "'my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. "'They are well known to the apostles, "'and they were in Christ before me. "'Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. "'Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. "'Greet my beloved Stachys. "'Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. "'Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. "'Greet my kinsman Herodion.' Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trypanus and Tryphosa. Trifo, Tri, Greet the beloved per- Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has also been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansecretus, Phlegion, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet philologist Julia. Nerus and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Did I do okay reading those names? Good enough. You get the point. So far, the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it. Um, Real people in the church a very long time ago. So again, why have I tortured myself with the task of reading all these unfamiliar and hard to pronounce names that are found at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome? The reason I've done this is to remind you that those who have faith in Christ are to be baptized and they are to join themselves to churches. This is the Christian way. This is what is prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Again, these names are real people who believed in Christ, were baptized upon their profession of faith, and were members of the church in Rome. And I think it is awesome to think about that. These hard to pronounce names represent people, real people who lived very real lives a long, long time ago. I love even that little remark about so-and-so's mother who was also a mother to me. Like we, we experience that same sort of thing in the church today, don't we? She's not my mother, you know, really, but she's been a mother to me. And, and, and Paul spoke in that very way. Uh, these people that we have just mentioned, they lived in very different time and in a very different place. Um, but we share this in common, our faith in Christ our baptism, our membership in Christ's church. They were members of the church in Rome. They heard the word read and preached there. And they celebrated the Lord's Supper there, much in the same way that you and I do in this place today, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. The question that we are considering from our catechism today reminds us of the same thing. Those who have faith in Christ are to be baptized And those who are baptized are to join themselves to a local church where they will be taught to obey all that Christ commands us. Let us consider question 101 of the Baptist Catechism piece by piece. First, the question, what is the duty of such who are rightly baptized? In other words, what are those who are baptized then to do? What are they to do from that moment forward? And this is a very important question. A baptism is to be applied near the beginning of the Christian life. It marks one's entrance into the kingdom of God and shows in a visible way that we are partakers of the covenant of grace. It should be applied not long after someone makes a credible profession of faith. So baptism is applied at the beginning of the Christian life, but what then? Our catechism is right to say that it is the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give themselves to some, to give up themselves to some particular An orderly Church of Jesus Christ. What does particular mean in this context? Here, particular refers to the visible and local church. Is there such a thing as the universal or Catholic Church? We say yes, of course there is such a thing as the universal or, or Catholic Church. That's what Catholic means, by the way. I'm not talking big C Catholic here, but little c Catholic. It means universal. Is there a universal church? We, we say yes. When we speak of the universal church, we speak of all who have true faith in Christ throughout the world. The universal church is sometimes called the invisible church because we cannot see it with our eyes. God sees it, but we cannot. The universal church cannot assemble on earth. It assembles in heaven now, spiritually speaking, and it will assemble for all eternity in the new heavens and earth after Christ returns. But it cannot assemble on earth today, for the universal church is simply too large, and it is separated by geographical distance, not to mention language and even culture. When a person places their faith in Christ, they are Automatically joined to this universal and invisible church by virtue of their spirit wrought union with Christ. All who have faith in Christ are joined together in Him. Isn't that marvelous to think about? You're a part of that universal church and you became a part of it in the moment that you believe because you were united to Christ, our head, by faith. And the same has been true of so many others. Uh, all around the world today and even throughout history. So there is a universal church and the scriptures sometimes speak of it, but actually very rarely. The word church, in fact, means assembly or or gathering. So you say, why do we refer to a universal church? Well, that, that church is assembled, spiritually speaking, in heaven now. So it does assemble, but in an invisible way, and it will assemble for all eternity in the new heavens and new earth. But more often than not, when the Scriptures speak of the Church, the the Scriptures speak of of this, the the local Church, the, the visible Church that assembles together in the flesh, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. That's what our Catechism is talking about. Our Catechism is teaching that the one who has faith in Christ ought to join themselves to a particular church, meaning a local church, a visible church, consisting of officers and members, where the word and sacraments are administered as the church assembles each Lord's Day. That's what the word particular means here in this context. You know, as you read the New Testament, you'll find that references to particular local churches are found everywhere. Everywhere. You just need to look for them. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were to be circulated amongst the churches. Do you hear what I'm saying here? These letters were written, and where did they go? Not to individual Christians, uh, you know, so that they can read these letters at their leisure in their own homes. They were to be read aloud in, in churches. And they contain instructions for life in the church too, especially the, the Gospel of Matthew. Acts is all about the local church. We hear of churches being planted, of, of elders and deacons and of members. Most of Paul's letters were written either to local churches, to Rome, to Ephesus, Colossae, etc., or to men who were serving as ministers within the church. Even the book of Revelation was addressed to seven particular churches. Right? Even that, that marvelous letter, the, um, the book of Revelation, it was addressed to churches the topic of the local church is so pervasive in the new testament that it's really hard to imagine the christian faith being practiced apart from it and yet so many try in our day and age many claim to love jesus but they want nothing to do with the church and these seem to have forgotten that jesus did not merely die for them individually no he laid down his life for the church it is the church and not you and me as individuals that Christ calls his bride. Think about that. I am not denying that he died for you personally, but, but I'm saying there's something more going on here. Christ came to redeem not just you, but a people for himself. He he laid down his life for for the church. So we must think in these terms in this in this corporate way. We we must think of of ourselves as a part of something bigger than Ourselves, Again, the topic of the local church is so pervasive in the New Testament. It's hard to imagine the Christian faith being practiced apart from it. It's not meant to be practiced apart from it. So we must acknowledge that this is what the Scriptures call us to do. After believing upon Christ, we are to be baptized. And having been baptized, we are to join ourselves to a particular church, a particular congregation, preferably the one that we were baptized in, But people do move, don't they? Notice also the word orderly in our catechism. It is the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give themselves to some particular and orderly church of Jesus Christ. An orderly church is a church that has been ordered according to the scriptures. We must confess that no church is perfect. This one is not. But a church that is well-ordered, will have officers and members, the scriptures will be faithfully administered there, and so too will the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And lastly, in an orderly church, you will find discipline. And by this I mean the church, its elders and members together, will be faithful to do what is commanded in Matthew 18 and described in 1 Corinthians 5, for example. Uh, Those who are struggling with sin will be lovingly and patiently called to repentance. And those who persist in sin will, in an orderly manner, be removed from the church. This is what the scriptures call the church to do. So, orderly means properly ordered. And properly ordered implies that there is a standard to which we are to conform. And I'm afraid that many churches have forgotten this. Many take it upon themselves, and I'm thinking here mainly of pastors, to decide how they should do church. Have you ever heard pastors talk that way? I have. You know, They speak as if it's up to them to decide how they are going to do church. But it really is not up to us. It's not our place. Some decisions are naturally left to us, But our main concern should be to conform ourselves to the order prescribed by Christ, which is found in the Scriptures. And if I can offer a word of wisdom to my brothers and sisters in Christ, who are outside of this local congregation, who may happen to be listening in on this teaching, it would be this. Join yourself to a local church. You're not meant to live in isolation as a Christian, but in the church and Stop looking for a hip church, start looking for a faithful church, one that is well-ordered according to the Scriptures. The words, give up themselves, are also important. Church is not a service to attend, but a body to join. I wonder if you're following me here. When someone joins a church, they make a commitment to that congregation and the congregation makes a commitment to them. And what is that commitment? Well, in brief, we commit to be the church together, to assemble for worship, to receive the word together, to partake of the ordinances and to do and even be subject to discipline. When someone joins a church, they make a commitment to love the members of that congregation, and they receive a commitment to be loved. The the Scriptures teach that new members are to be received. See Romans 14.1. And that does imply some formality. Please remember this. Christians are not merely to attend church, as if attending a conference, or worse yet, a concert or comedy club. Christians are to give themselves up a local congregation. This means they are to entrust themselves to the elders and deacons that serve there. They are to entrust themselves to the members of that congregation. And they themselves are to endeavor to use whatever gifts that God has given to them for the building up of the body of Christ in that place. For we are all members one of another. There I have referenced Romans 12.5. This is the biblical pattern Stop attending church. Stop going to church, even though we might use that language still. I'm fine with that. But stop doing that merely. Instead, join yourself to a church. Give yourself up to a church to be cared for and also to care for others. Lastly, our catechism says, "...that they may walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless." This is our aim in the Christian life. The Christian life is a walk, it is a journey. Where we end up matters more than where we begin. And Christians are to walk together, they are to walk with others. They are to walk the walk of faith in the church. And in this walk we are to be concerned with keeping the commandments of God. Remember what Jesus said when He commissioned His disciples. It's such a famous passage, but I think we we often miss this portion of it. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think oftentimes those are the things that are emphasized. Make disciples and baptize. But then what does He say? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, So that describes the process that is to flow from evangelism, making disciples, and baptism. After baptism, what's to happen? Well, those baptized are to be taught now to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Where does that happen? Except in local churches. So those baptized are to join themselves to local churches, particular churches, well-ordered according to the Scriptures. And their disciples of Christ are to go on walking. They are to be taught uh, to observe all that Christ has commanded us. And then we have that wonderful word of encouragement, behold I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the primary responsibilities of the church, with elders at the lead, is to teach Christians to observe all that Christ has commanded them. This is a process. Sometimes it's a grueling process. Have you ever noticed that? I have. It's sometimes a very slow process, a grueling one, filled with discouragement and disappointment. This this is going to require long-suffering patience with one another within the church. We must be patient, we must be kind to one another as we walk with Christ together in this world, as we pursue Him together and seek to observe all that He has commanded us. God's commands are to be obeyed, and Christ's ordinances are to be kept. Notice that is what our catechism is teaching. We are to walk in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. So when we think of commandments, we are to think of God's law. But when we think of ordinances, we are to think primarily of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We are to be faithful to, to baptize those who believe. We are to be faithful to come and partake of the Lord's Supper Regularly, and in our opinion, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. You know, the reformers had to wrestle with the question what constitutes a true church? Uh, What what makes a, a church a true church? They really had to wrestle with that question after breaking from Rome. For those in Rome, that question was rather easy to answer. Rome is the true church anything outside of her structure with the Pope at the head is to be rejected. So, Rome, true, everything else, false. I mean, I'm oversimplifying things here maybe a bit, but you get why this became a problem. You break with Rome at the time of the Reformation. Now you say, well, how how do we identify uh, true churches? And the Reformers, uh, they were right to reject this organizational approach. And to put stress elsewhere, true churches are those churches that preach and teach the Word of God accurately, the Gospels proclaimed in them. True churches administer the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism, and many of them also said, finally, uh, that true churches are disciplined churches. True churches uh, may be strong or weak. They may be pure or impure, relatively speaking, but these three marks uh, were, were Uh, were set forth as characterizations of of true churches. And I think they were right. I think they were right. Uh, Remember, this catechism that we are working our way through was compiled by particular or Reformed Baptists. And I think it is interesting that they did not say it is the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give up themselves to some particular particular and orderly Particular Baptist church—that's not what they meant when they used the word particular. I've already made that clear. But they do not say you must join one of our churches. You know, they didn't say that. Instead, they are essentially saying this: join a true church, join a local church, join a church that is properly ordered according to the scriptures, where you may, with other believers, learn to walk in all of the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Blameless, in, in other words, our particular Baptist forefathers felt and thought strongly about their particular church tradition. That is true, just as we do. But they were also charitable. They knew that there were many churches outside of their tradition that were also true churches of Jesus Christ. And I think we should rejoice whenever a person turns from their sin, is rightly baptized, and gives himself up to one of these to walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord Blameless. Do you agree? Okay. What is the duty of such who are rightly baptized? It is the duty of those who are rightly baptized to give up themselves to some particular and orderly church of Jesus Christ that they may walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, I pray that You would bless this local congregation. Do help us, O God to do what you have called us to do according to the scriptures. Do help us as we seek to walk with Christ here in this church and as we leave this place out in the world too, but we are together. Help us to keep your commandments. Help us to honor you as we observe the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Help us to walk in a blameless way. God, we thank you for Christ, how He has covered all of our sins. We thank You for the Holy Spirit and for Your Word. And we ask that You would sanctify us further. Bless this local congregation today, this year, for generations to come. Father, and do the same for other local congregations too, throughout this valley, throughout the state and nation and world. We pray that You would make Your church strong. Make her strong, especially as the world is so wicked, O oh God. May your churches shine as light in the darkness just as you have called us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.